Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 21. So I didn't want to make it too complicated. A lot of people have these crazy schedules where they're doing the one resource in the morning, another one in the afternoon, and they change every week. For me, it was super simple. I would just do UWorld in the morning for four hours, four hours of boards and beyond, and then a couple hours of hockey at night. And that was it. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on step one and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered step one concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Danny, who is a third year medical student at the University of Illinois. And to help me with this, I'm here with my co-host, Red Thompson. How's it going? It's going so good. You know, I'm just super excited about this Halloween season and a little of the weather getting a little bit more Halloween-like. And lately, my biggest hurdle has just been trying to figure out how to find the time to watch Halloween movies. And not only that, but how to find the time to watch Halloween movies that are family-friendly, that I can watch with my family, and then those Halloween movies that even my wife won't watch. And I hope at the end of this Halloween season that I can really say that I got through the videos and movies that I wanted to and feel like I, you know, did a good job because last year I felt like, you know, Halloween passed me by and I didn't see any new cool, scary movies or anything like that. And I'm hoping I don't miss out on that opportunity this year. And it really is on a time crunch. You know, we were just a couple weeks out from Halloween and after Halloween is over, like I'm not even the slightest bit interested in watching Halloween movies. Like I, have, I don't know why. Like theoretically, I could watch those year round, but, but I can't. You know, it's like this mental hurdle. You know, I stopped watching Walking Dead. I stopped watching everything after October 31st. So I'm hoping that I can reach my goals this time. Better get cracking, man. Yep. I got to figure this out. Nice. Well, that sounds fun. Well, let's introduce our guest for today. Today's guest, like I mentioned a moment ago, is Danny. He is 27 years old. He's originally from the Chicago suburbs, and he's an MS3 at the University of Illinois. And the interview was really interesting. You know, I felt like he really emphasized physiology quite a bit throughout the interview. And it really made me think that physiology is more important than we think. You know, first, it lays the foundation for kind of everything else, kind of bleeds into pathology so often. And oftentimes other subjects like immunology, biochemistry, et cetera. And then he also mentioned just that during his study time, when he was doing like year-old questions and practice tests, he said that pharmacology was way more important. It was represented a ton on those practice exams. But on the actual thing, he said he got way more physiology questions. And so he was just so glad that he used physio, which obviously made us pretty happy. But anyways, I think it just goes to show that physiology is super important, probably more important than we think. So with that, let's bring him on. All right, Danny, welcome to the show, man. We're super excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's start from the beginning. Maybe you could tell us and our audience a little bit about you and what got you interested in medicine. Yeah, sure. So I'm from the Chicago area and... I think I was always pre-med in college. Part of that was like everyone else was pre-med, but you know, as I went on, I started doing more volunteering and stuff. My major was actually like philosophy and neuroscience and psychology. It was like integrated, not as cool as it sounds. It wasn't a triple major, but I 
like that intersection of like people and science. And I don't think it was crazy unique, my experience, but you know, that kind of just led me towards medicine. And I actually had to take a couple of years off after college because in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, you just like get pretty good grades, apply to like a bunch of schools, you'll get in somewhere. But <laughs> I think we all know that's not how it works for med school. So I actually spent like a year doing research. I spent a year as a scribe in the emergency department and I did a grad program for a year. And then I went to med school. Nice. Yeah, no, it can be pretty tough for a lot of people to get in and it can be challenging to kind of decide what you're going to do with your time. You know, if you decide to take a break before med school or if you applied and didn't get in, it's like, what do I do? Because you want to make sure you're competitive for sure. So sounds like you had kind of a background that's probably similar to a lot of medical students. You know, you liked science, you liked people, kind of drew you into medicine. Then you got into the University of Illinois, which is awesome. So maybe let's take the interview to that point and tell us a little bit about, you know, that experience of getting into medical school in the first few days of med school, what that was like for you. Yeah, I was super pumped to go to my home institution I was a little nervous, though, because they changed the curriculum. I think a lot of schools are doing that nowadays. But we were going to be the guinea pigs of this new curriculum. So I was going to be like the first class to go through it. Didn't really know what to expect. Couldn't ask the upperclassmen for help, really. I mean, you could in terms of like general studying, but they didn't know what we were going to be doing exactly. The first few days were kind of tough because I didn't know what was going on. That was before I found my study method. I remember reading a textbook at one point for biochem and I spent like five hours reading it in the library with my classmate and we're like, I'm not getting anything out of this. <laughs> like, that was so much time. And like, I don't know what I learned. So I quickly realized that was not like the way to do things. I don't think I opened a textbook for the rest of med school, like outside of, you know, first aid. I don't know if that counts, but that was the first couple of days just trying to figure out what's going on and kind of wasting a lot of time too. I think that happens to so many students. You know, you get into med school and you're just kind of overwhelmed and you're grasping at straws and it's like, what do I use? And you just kind of want to try, you know, different things. And I think we've probably all had that experience of using a textbook and just not really getting what we wanted out of it. And it's unfortunate because, you know, it takes so much time to read through it. And, you know, some people learn that way. Some people really like certain books. But I think for a lot of us, we're very visual and it can be kind of a, I don't know, for the amount of information you need to know, you know, the amount of information that's being thrown at you, it's just really hard to use just textbooks for med school, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, it's just not practical with like the time commitment you need. I think I was lucky in that I literally spent one afternoon with the textbook and then I was like, never again. You know, I could have probably done that for months and not figured it out. But I was just like, this is not for me. That's awesome. That's good that you're able to move past that pretty quick. You know, because I think it's, especially when you're new to med school, a lot of us, I know I did, I had this temptation to just think, well, let me just plow through this and it'll all work itself out. And I'll, I'll know all this material that I need to know. And even if it means I'm like acquiring this through a bad strategy, I assume that like I'm the problem if I'm not getting it. It's not that the textbook is super dull and makes it difficult to apply the material. So I think that's good that you were able to kind of snap out of that a little bit quicker. What did you end up doing after that? That's a great point. I also thought I would probably just brute force it when I started med school. But yeah, so there was this meeting I had with a third year med student who 
kind of was talking about study strategies. And me and one of my friends went to it and she mentioned all these resources that I'd never heard of. And it was super overwhelming at the time. It was like, you know, Anki and then there's like, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And I was writing it all down. But it seemed like basically what you said was just watch these like online videos, do flashcards that are pre-made and you can download them and then like do questions on your own. And that's kind of what I did throughout the rest of med school. It changed a little bit, but about a month into school, I found my groove and I found what I had to do. And I like just basically did that for the rest of med school. I would watch outside videos, do the Anki cards, and then questions weren't that important in one year. But when I got to M2, I would do UWorld. And it was basically just that for the next two years. Yeah, you know, it's really helpful, I think, for a lot of us to talk to upperclassmen and see what they did and then just kind of experiment on our own and see what works for us. So it sounds like you figured that out pretty quickly. You said after about a month into your first year of medical school, you had this meeting? No, it was actually like a weekend. I think it was maybe during orientation week or the week after. But I think every med school has that. They'll have, you know, upperclassmen kind of give talks about this, that, how to study, different tips. But like a big part of that was she said we should be going to class and kind of prime ourselves with the videos. And after a month, I realized like that wasn't working for me. So I kind of just used the videos only, like just outside of resources. And if I had to go to class because it was mandatory, I would go. But I kind of just used that as like my base. It was outside of resource, things like physio, you know. But I didn't discover that till later in my M1 year. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But I'm curious, you basically didn't go to class then starting from just a few weeks into med school. Is that right? For the most part? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty common for a lot of people, though, just not going to class except for mandatory stuff. I was probably one of the first ones to drop off. But you guys probably looked around your M2 year and you're like, nobody's here right now. There's probably that point in med school. For a lot of schools, it certainly is that way. For us in particular, we had mandatory attendance and we hated, we kind of hated it, to be honest with you. I think for a lot of schools, there's not mandatory attendance and there, I don't know, you know, the people we've talked to, it seems like a lot of people actually do go to class, at least like the first semester in particular, because it's kind of like a foundational semester for a lot of schools. And then, yeah, it seems like they just kind of drop off over time. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, people slowly drop off. And I mean, that was one of the first ones, I think be one of the first people to bounce out of lecture and kind of take your own study strategies. I think that takes a lot of confidence. And I think that's cool that you're able to do that so quick early in your med school career. Looking back, I never would have gone to lecture had I had the choice. As Michael pointed out, we did not have that choice. But if I had the choice, I would have. And I wonder how confident I would have been as like a freaked out first year, first semester med student and not going to class and seeing that a lot of my classmates were still going to class, you know? So I think that's cool that you're like, you're bold and kind of pioneered that. You're like, I'm doing it my way. Yeah, it definitely took a leap of faith. And I would not have expected that from me before med school. Because in grad school and undergrad, I was like, okay, I like having this structure, going to class, having them tell me what to study. But then when I got to med school, I was basically just like, all right, I'm going to look at the title of the class and then just study whatever they're teaching us outside of my own. And it was tough because we didn't have a lot of examinations. We had one test at the end of each class. So basically, we'd have 
what was called a block for like two months and then there'd be one final exam. And we had quizzes in between, but they were like not super useful for gauging where you were. I mean, it was like good. If you were failing, you knew you had trouble, but like outside of that, they weren't that great of markers. So I'd basically go like a couple months just like doing my own thing and trusting that in the end it would work out. So yeah, it was definitely bold of me to do that at the start of med school, but I think it worked out. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that one of the greatest challenges with that strategy is in particular, just if you have quizzes and finals and stuff like that, being confident about the class material and being able to at least pass or even do well in your class material. Because a lot of times you're not even studying anything in class. And then you go to these quizzes and it's like, whoa, I've been studying all this stuff for step one, but they've been teaching about this stuff that's not probably that important for step one. Did you encounter that very often or how did you handle that situation? Oh, all the time. I would kind of just take the hit because our school did a good job of teaching for step one, which still means there's a lot of stuff not step relevant. I mean, that's just the case for every med school. I don't think there's a single one in the country that's like, here, just read first aid. So this happened more in the quizzes, especially where there'd just be questions like, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> like, I've never heard of this in my life. But enough of them were step relevant where I'd just, I'd get those questions, but just take the hit on the rest of the stuff. But then when you got to the exams, it was way more step relevant and I'd kind of do fine on those. Yeah, you know, that's fortunate that the finals are that way. I think in some instances, both the quizzes and the finals can be structured in a way that are very challenging for someone who's kind of taking the approach that you took. And then it becomes this really difficult situation of, do I study for step one or do I study for class or do I, you know, how do I study for both? It's a kind of a unique situation that med students find themselves in, I feel like. Yeah. And I should also say that everything's pass fail for us. So I was lucky in that regard. Like I didn't have to kill the exams. I just had to pass. Let's dive into some of the resources you use then. So it sounds like you started using them pretty early on. Can you tell us about maybe some of the video resources and the Anki decks and other resources that you began using? Yeah, sure. So early on, I think the first one that one of my classmates kind of told us about it actually was Boards and Beyond. And that one's nice because it covers kind of everything. And that's what kind of took over lecture for me is I would just watch those videos. And then I think back then I used the Rose and Cephalon Anki deck, which... I don't know if you've heard of that. I think that was like the first big one that was downloadable, had like 10,000 cards, covered first aid pretty well. So I used that for like the first couple months, but then Zonky came out and I downloaded that one. And that one had like 22,000 cards. I think it looked nicer. It covered almost everything in first aid, Pathoma. I think it had cards for BRS physiology, which is like a little textbook. And that was amazing. So. Once that came out, I started using it. And that was about when I was doing pathology. So I also started watching Pathoma at that point. So basically, I would watch Boards and Beyond video, do all the cards from Zonkey. And then if it was like path-related, I'd watch Pathoma too. And I'd occasionally do questions here and there. The school paid for osmosis for us. They had like pretty good questions for M1 year. They weren't like U-world quality, but we didn't need that at that point. And that was kind of my first semester. First semester, right out of the gate. Wow, that's awesome. It seems like most people don't start using a lot of those until, you know, like their second semester or even third semester. Sounds like you got started super early and knew exactly what you wanted. And that seemed to work for you. Is that right? 
Yeah, it works super well. I mean, it saves so much time. Like if you're not going to class and even listening to lectures, double speed, I would just wake up, crank through a couple of boards and beyond videos. And they're all like 20 minutes. So it's not bad at all. And then just do Anki. I think I did probably like 300 cards a day, maybe like 500 during my busiest periods, which is way less than some of my classmates. I talked to some people and they're doing like a thousand. I don't know if you guys did that, but I don't understand how you could do it. <laughs> That's like four hours just like pressing your space bar every day. For me and Michael, the big thing was Firecracker at the time. And I don't know how big it was, but Anki certainly wasn't big at the time. And so I remember using Firecracker. And I remember having lofty goals to get through a thousand cards, particularly when it's like over the weekend and I like didn't do a bunch on Sunday or something. And then on Monday, I had a ton, you know, and I never did <laughs> all those. I just reevaluate my goals and try to set something that I could actually accomplish. Because I think it's hard to just blitz through cards and have them be meaningful to you. You know, like flashcards are really good because they're pretty short and you can kind of blitz through them. But at the same time, like sometimes it's really hard to really get anything out of the flashcards, even if you're just kind of like blitzing through them, a bunch of cards you haven't seen in particular. So that's really cool. And I think that like 500 even, that's really impressive. Yeah, that was like a couple hours a day, maybe like two hours for me. But that was at like my busiest point. Usually it was closer to 300. Nowadays I'm doing like maybe a hundred a day. I have no idea how I got through everything I did the first two years. Cause you're just studying so much less as an M3. I'm like, damn, how did I do 500 flashcards a day? Yeah. It's certainly a different game at that point, balancing all the clinical duties that you have and whatnot. So yeah, that would be very challenging. Let's transition and talk about second semester. Did anything change for you at that point or did you just kind of continue with the groove you were in? A little bit of both. So I added on Sketchy because we started Micro and Farm. After a couple months, I think it was in the middle of my cardio pulm block is when I found out about Physio and I added that on. So basically I had Boards and Beyond, which was the resource for everything. And then I had a dedicated pathology resource in Pathoma, Micro slash Farm in Sketchy, and then Physiology with Physio. Now, I honestly have no idea where I heard about physio from. Like, I can't remember, but at some point I just paid for it and then watched all the videos. And I thought it was really helpful for like cardiopulm, especially because you guys do a lot of graphics and charge. And there are things like flow volume loops that were way over my head. But when you drew them out, I thought it was like incredible and so simple. Oh, thanks. We really appreciate it. We love hearing about how people use physio and find it helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember making those particular lectures when me and Michael just trying to make these usable because we had just taken step one and we're like, this stuff has not been taught well yet. So it's really hard to learn that kind of stuff and just all those loops and stuff and all those professors like well-intentioned and clearly understand the material themselves often struggle to really teach it in a way that's meaningful and useful. And so that's awesome that you found that particularly helpful. That takes me back to Late 2016, got the <laughs> strong memories making this. I think it's great too, because med school for the most part, it's hard just because the amount of info you have to know, like it's not necessarily difficult, although some of it's hard, but I think the thing that's the hardest is definitely physiology, because that's where you have to be like, okay, this goes up, then this goes down, X leads to Y, to Z, and it gets really confusing. Pathology, you can kind of memorize, farm, you can definitely memorize. But physio is like inherently difficult, more so than anything else. 
And that's why I thought all the drawings, all the graphs you guys did was super helpful because I can't just do flashcards for physiology because when I get a question, I'm not going to be able to think through the question and get to the answer. I think as med students, we come in with kind of this critical thinking hat on and we're kind of brainwashed into just memorizing everything once we start medical school. Unfortunately, there's just so much to memorize. And like you say, you can memorize a lot of path. Basically, all of pharmacology is memorization. Most of microbiology is memorization. There's just so much memorization. And so it's like you either know it or you don't, unfortunately. But when it comes to physiology, yeah, it really is. It's a lot of pathways. And if you really understand it, you can get the questions right. And I also feel like physiology is a resource or a subject that will not only help you get the physiology questions right, but they also often translate into other areas, you know, like biochemistry or pathology or pharmacology. So if you really understand the physiology and have a good foundation, I feel like it oftentimes helps you a little bit more with those other questions as well. 100%. I mean, all path is like based on physiology. So it was good that you guys made like a dedicated physiology resource. Because everything else I just saw was basically textbooks, textbooks, textbooks. You know, there's a lot of resources for PATH. There's a lot of stuff for farm. But having a video series on physiology where you just drew things out, use nice colors, that was super helpful for cardiopulm. And then afterwards, I had GI renal. Renal especially is tough. So I use physio a lot for that. I think this is really interesting because, you know, a lot of people are using boards and beyond. It just kind of has everything right now. And one thing that I question is why do people use physio when boards and beyond has physiology? Because you were already using boards and beyond and they certainly has a lot of physiology. What was your thought process as to why you would use physio instead of just keep using boards and beyond at that time? I think for me, a lot of it is the extra time I get from not really going to class frees me up to use other resources. So a lot of people, they go to class, they listen, or they listen to it online, and then they might use boards and beyond outside of class. But they can't add more stuff because there's already class, one or two resources, and they don't have time to add a bunch more. But for me, it was boards and beyond, you know, these 20 minute videos I can watch at home, and then not really going to class. So why not add something else? And it's good having the pathomas, the physios, the things that are different, dedicated resources, because they kind of teach things in a different way. So there's physiology videos and boards and beyond, but then there's physio. You guys approach things in a different way. And I think it's kind of synergistic watching both of them. Some of them are pretty good for boards and beyond. I mean, Dr. Ryan does an amazing job, but some of the topics like neuro and renal fizz. I was still a little confused when I watched his videos. And so that's another reason I liked physio videos that you guys made is because when I was confused from other resources, I'd go and you did a great job of explaining something. So a little bit of it is just having that extra time. And it's also that those videos were the most clear, the physio videos. Well, it's awesome. Well, it's good to hear. I'm thankful for the plug and I'm glad you used it. I'm glad it helped you. And obviously you did really well on step one. So we'll just go ahead and take credit for that as physio that you got a 263. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> just kidding, Danny. Yeah. All you guys. Well, if we want to talk about step, I would say there's actually a lot of physiology, a lot more than I thought there would be. 
because I think in you world, there's more farm than physiology. That's the case of a lot of the question banks. And then when you actually take step, it's kind of surprising that I feel like the farm was kind of few and far between. And a lot of it was pretty simple if you used a lot of the resources. But then there was a ton of physiology. They had a ton of the up arrow, down arrow questions that were like mind-bogglingly hard. But I kind of thought back to physio. That helped me for some of them. But there was a ton of physiology on step, which was not what I expected. Yeah, that's really interesting. I remember hearing that before I took step one as well. Someone had recommended that I should read the BRS book. Just like, oh, I highly recommend it. You know, he scored really well. I think he got like a 260. And he was just saying that physiology is so much more important than we think on step one. And then I took it and yeah, same experience. It felt like there was a lot of physiology. So I think that as students, we kind of think, oh, physiology is just, yeah, whatever. But no, it's a really important subject to understand. So that's cool that you did so well on physiology and that we were able to be a small part of that and help you a little bit. So that's awesome. Let's transition and talk a little bit more about Dedicated, if that's all right now. Yeah, sure. So at what point did you begin Dedicated and how did your routine change or did it change at all at that time? Yeah, it definitely changed. I think I had five weeks of Dedicated. And in the couple months before that, I redid a lot of the resources that I used, that I rewatched all of Pathoma, all of Physio, and all of Sketchy Micro and Farm, because that kind of freed me up then to just watch Boards and Beyond during Dedicated. So I didn't want to make it too complicated. A lot of people have these crazy schedules where they're doing the one resource in the morning, another one in the afternoon, and they change every week. For me, it was super simple. I would just do UWorld in the morning for four hours, four hours of Boards and Beyond, and then a couple hours of Anki at night. And that was it. Basically, it was like 8 to 12 I would do 80 U-World, one to five, watch like however many hours of videos, and then just do Anki for the videos that I watched. And I did that for five weeks. So U-World, Anki, Boards and Beyond. That's it, yeah. I don't know if we talked about this yet. Did you start U-World before Dedicated, or did you just start it during the beginning of Dedicated? I did it the second pass in Dedicated. So four months before Dedicated, I started U-World, and I went through it slowly. While I was still doing class stuff, I probably did like 20 questions a day. And then I finished it. I also did Kaplan. So before I started UWorld, like the beginning of M2 year, I did like half a Kaplan, switched to UWorld, finished that, went back and finished Kaplan. Then I had like a month break or something. Dedicated started and I redid UWorld. And I thought it was really helpful to redo it. Not everyone has to do that. I think a lot of people take really copious notes the first time they go through, read all the answer choices really carefully. For me, I was kind of, I'm more ADD in my studying. So I'm just like skimming the highlights. And so that's why doing it twice was good for me. Because I'm not like writing down everything they say. Some people would spend like four hours on 20 questions, you know, just reviewing. And I couldn't do that. So when I got to Dedicated, it was my second pass at UWorld. Yeah, that's a cool strategy. I relate to that a lot. If you have the choice between going really slow and super thorough and slowly making your way through something, then that's not as ideal for me if I can do the alternative, which is 
clip along a little bit faster through the resource and then do a second pass because then it's just like more stimulating to my mind. Like I feel like I can kind of keep my focus a little bit better and, and keep myself sharp and just feel like I'm getting more done when I do it that way. So I can totally relate to that. It sounds like it's kind of the way your mind was working too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. They tell you to read all the wrong answer choices too. And sometimes I would just like skim through those if I didn't feel like I need to read them. I couldn't just write down everything that you world told me. It would just be way too much time. So basically, I half-assed it twice, which ends up being like a whole ass of eWorld. So it worked for me. Did you do it on random tutored mode or did you do it on time mode? How exactly did you approach it before dedicated and then during dedicated? Both pre-dedicated and during dedicated, I did timed random questions. So kind of gave myself that like testing mentality and pre-dedicated and yeah, both passes. I went to my school computer lab, like logged on to the desktop and then took it because that's what I'm going to be doing for an actual step. So I wanted to recreate that environment as closely as possible. I think that's a great idea. Did you use any NBMEs during that time as well? Yeah, I did all the NBMEs we had, which except for 13, I think. So new ones just came out, but back then it was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And I did all of those. And then I did the two U-Worlds as well. And I also did the free 120. I don't know if you guys did that. There's like 120 questions you can do for free. You can also pay to do it at the testing center. And that's what I did. Yeah, we interviewed someone, I think, who did that as well. I think that's a great idea. Just kind of, again, simulate that environment as much as you can. 100%. And it was good because I got to go to the site, like feel it out, see where the exits were, see how many people kind of are sitting around me. It made me way less nervous on testing day. And did the MBMEs reflect your score, did you feel like? Did they progress a lot from like a low score to a high score? Or were you high right from the beginning? Maybe walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I was pretty good from the first one. And I think it reflected my score. I might have outperformed a little bit from what I was predicted to get. So on Reddit, they had this crazy algorithm where you put in all your practice scores and then they kind of predict what you're going to get on the real thing. I think I was on the high end of my prediction, which is nice. I know the NBMEs tend to underpredict, and then UWorld tends to overpredict, And that's kind of what happened to me. I was like, more in the 50s for NBME. And then one of the U-Worlds, I got like high 60s. So I was right in the middle there. And then on test day, sounds like you did very well and you got a 263. So there you go. That's awesome, man. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Testing day was weird because you prepare so much. I had like a knapsack full of snacks. I had these Slim Jims. I had apples and everything. And then you get there and you're just like so in the zone, you're not even hungry. I think I ate like half an apple and that was it. Plus all the coffee. It's kind of nerve wracking. So that makes sense. You know, your adrenaline's kind of going, you're like, I'm not hungry. I just want to get through this. Yeah, I remember having to force myself to eat. I'm like, I'm going to eat this weird stuff that I just prepared, stuff that I never eat normally. But like I packed it because I thought it would be good for my brain. And it doesn't matter what I would have packed, honestly, because it was just hard to eat. I totally agree. Like, I've got to eat this, though. Like, I'm forcing myself to eat. <laughs> Rhett's squirting ketchup and mustard in his mouth with saltine <laughs> crackers or something. <laughs> <laughs> Shoving it in my mouth. Gotta eat this. The one thing I ate that was really good was from a care package my friend sent me at the beginning of Dedicated, and it was Nutella and pretzel sticks. 
And so you open it up and then dip the pretzel sticks in the Nutella. And I just like chowed that down. It was so good. But that was the only thing I ate fully. Like I had a bite or two of the apple. I had like half a Slim Jim. But the Nutella sticks got me through the day. I think that's a good tip. Of all the good advice you've given, I think just highlighting the fact that the real food that you eat during your test is like finger food, not like sandwiches. I think it's really hard to down a sandwich. <laughs> Speaking from like my experience, and it sounds like your experience, I don't know how, how much we can extrapolate this across everybody's experience, but, but having like little snacks like that, like I just can't imagine like eating a turkey sandwich or a Subway or anything that's like <laughs> big or heavier. Like a real meal. Exactly. I don't know if they had a microwave at the testing center. Probably not. I may have eaten a sandwich on test day. <laughs> 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 well, Danny, thanks for your time. Any last parting words of advice you'd like to give to maybe like a pre-med or a med student who you know, is looking down the barrel of medical school and preparing for step one? Yeah, I would say I don't think it's ever too early to start thinking about step one. You don't have to just be in dedicated mode at the beginning of M1. Like what I did, I used a lot of the resources that are specific for step that also kind of complemented my classes. So recently I talked to one of my residents in surgery and he had step three coming up. And he told me kind of the rule for the steps is like, I'm taking two days off for step three and then two weeks off for step two and then like two months for step one. But I think step one can be kind of a two-year process throughout M1, M2 year. Again, don't be in dedicated mode that whole time, but think about it. Make sure you're studying what you need to study that's going to be on the exam in the end. And I think if you do that, you'll be good come dedicated time. Great advice. Thanks again, Danny. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free Step 1 videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for Step 1. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.